Welcome to episode 16 of Bearskins, Bayonets and Bravery, Notes from the Guards Museum. My name is Andrew Wallace and I'm the director of the museum. Last week we started the story of the guards in the Second World War. Following mobilisation, we followed their exploits through Finland, Norway and North Africa. This week we'll take the story even further. With spring in the air, Field Marshal Alexander now prepared the final blow, aimed at destroying rather than just defeating the 30 German divisions still holding out south of the Po Valley. It was a formidable task, even with the air superiority that the Allies enjoyed. Field Marshal Kesselring held a strong line in the mountains of central Italy, while in the plains to the east he could fight delaying actions based on a series of river lines stretching all the way to Austria. But Field Marshal Alexander intended to prevent this by encircling the German armies where they stood and so destroying them. The plan was for the 8th Army to attack up the Adriatic coast of Ferrara, while the 5th Army moved from the Apennines and struck at Bologna. If all went well, the main German forces south of the Po would thus be cut off with the rivers behind them. The regrouped 24th Guards Brigade had become an infantry brigade again, and had rejoined the 56th Division, with whom they now forced a narrow, flooded Argenta Gap west of Lake Comaccio, and so enabled the armed forces to debouch into the plains beyond, led by the 1st Guards Brigade as part of the 6th Armoured Division. After some initial opposition, they swept forward, and, bypassing Ferrara, linked up on April 22nd with the 5th Army at Finale an appropriate rendezvous. The encirclement was complete. Two days later, 3rd Battalion Grenadier Guards boldly crossed the quarter-mile-wide River Po by moonlight, taking the Germans by surprise before they could organise any proper defence. The 3rd Battalion Welsh Guards now took over the lead and on April the 27th reached Adija. Once across the river, it was simply a question of rounding up demoralised prisoners. Brigade headquarters organised exercise ferreting, announcing that the battalion sending in the biggest bag will be adjudged the most successful. Entries close at 2400 hours on April 29th. The Grenadiers won by two points. On the 2nd of May, the German command in Italy surrendered, adding 230,000 prisoners of war to the thousands already rounded up. The Italian campaign was over. Three days later, orders came for the 24th Brigade to move to Venezia Giulia, near Trieste, where they came under the command of the 91st US Division. They were there to stay for the next six months, reluctantly involved in national rivalries and ideological conflict, as communism and democracy fought to win the area over to their side of the Iron Curtain. On the 8th of May, VE Day, 1st Guards Brigade crossed the Italian-Austrian frontier and moved to the Austrian village of Villache, which was to be their happy home for a while. It was complete victory indeed. Only 638 out of the 340,000 Axis troops in Tunisia escaped. An enemy had been eliminated. There were many reunions among the nine Guards battalions now in Tunisia, and at Narbul on the 14th of May, 212 officers dined together after a display by the mass pipes and drums of the Scots and Irish Guards.
On the 19th of May, there was a victory march in Tunis and later visits by Churchill and the King. Then, for the next four months, the three brigades were able to enjoy a welcome period of relaxation and reorganisation before starting their next campaign, Italy. The campaign for Italy, fought largely by troops who had achieved victory in North Africa, was a thankless, relentless struggle with no flanks to be turned except from the sea, and so no choice but to attack one natural defensive position after another under conditions which strongly favoured the enemy. It led to some of the hardest and most unpleasant fighting of the war, with few spectacular results, only a steady slog, river by river, ridge by ridge, up the length of Italy. The first guards unit involved were the third battalion Coldstream guards, who were sent to garrison the newly occupied island of Pantelleria on the 23rd of June, 1943, prior to the invasion of Sicily on the 10th of July. Meanwhile, one company of 2nd Battalion Coldstream Guards was sent off with a naval task to perform to obtain the surrender of the island of Lampedusa, 80 miles away. The company was just 95 strong, and the Italian garrison totaled some 4,600, but, following a naval and air bombardment, white flags appeared. Major Bill Harris, the company commander, landed first, accompanied by Drill Sergeant Knight, and boldly demanded the surrender of the garrison. After some anxious moments and much animated argument, the official document was signed by the governor, an Italian admiral, using the butt of the Drill Sergeant's rifle to lean on. The following month, the 201st Guards Brigade, having converted reluctantly from being motorised, joined the 56th Division as infantry and landed with them on the beaches of Salerno on the 9th of September. The 8th Army under General Montgomery had already landed on the foot of Italy on the 3rd of September, but the main assault was to be the landing of its six divisions of the Allied 5th Army under the American General Mark Clark at Salerno. It was not an ideal site as the coastal strip was nowhere more than five miles wide, and it was overlooked by mountains but it was within easy reach of the Allied fighter cover from Sicily, and it offered ten miles of very suitable beaches. It was also hoped that the surrender by Italy, which was planned to coincide with the landings, would disorganise the Germans to such an extent that the Fifth Army would be able to land and seize Naples swiftly and with little or no opposition. As the invasion fleet sailed past the island of Capri into Salerno Bay on the evening of 8th of September, the ship's loudspeakers announced the Italian surrender. Hopes of an unopposed landing rose, but the Germans reacted swiftly, and when the leading troops landed at 0400 hours on the 9th, they were soon in action. The 201st Guards Brigade was in divisional reserve and landed amid heavy fighting, the first Guards units to set foot on mainland Europe since Dunkirk. The battle was not going well, and early the next morning they were called on, together with the other two brigades, to capture the original division objectives, which were still in enemy hands. The features involved, the tobacco factory, the Monte Corvino airfield and the village of Battipaglia, were vital to the security of the bridgehead, and were to be the scene of very bitter fighting. Both the 6th Battalion Grenadier Guards and the 2nd Battalion Scots Guards were held up short of their objectives by strong German infantry and tank defences. But even then, the brigade found itself well ahead of the rest of the division and in a dangerous salient overlooked by the Germans in the hills. For 48 hours, they held on under increasing pressure. 
Any hopes of a quick breakout to Naples had vanished, and it was now more a question of survival, for elsewhere on the bridgehead the Germans were within a mile of the beaches. On the 12th of September, therefore, the line was shortened. It was just in time. But Field Marshal Kesselring, commanding the German forces in Italy, now counter-attacked, and on the 12th he drove the Americans to within a thousand yards of the beaches. The next day, the critical moment in the Salerno landing, the 201st Guards Brigade come under heavy pressure but held their positions. Both the Royal Navy and the Allied Air Force produced impressive support for the troops ashore, and by the 14th the crisis was passed. But it had been another close-run thing. On the 17th of September, the 8th Army, including the 24th Guards Brigade, joined up with the bridgehead, and the two armies turned northwards. The Allies now came up against the main German winter line. Barring any further advance to the west stood a massive 3,000-foot mountain called Monte Camino, and the task of capturing it was allotted to the 201st Guards Brigade. Monte Camino was reported to be lightly held, but those who remembered the horseshoe wondered. At 0200 hours on the 7th of November, the 6th Battalion Grenadier Guards climbed slowly up the ragged mountainside widely known as Bare Arse Ridge, though carefully pronounced Bare Archie by the BBC. At dawn they reached their objective, point 819, which was taken by the bayonet. But the real battle was just beginning, for a thousand yards ahead was another feature, Monastery Hill. This was not only strongly held, but it also dominated both point 819 and the approach to it. So for the next four days, the Grenadiers, together with F Company, 2nd Battalion Scots Guards, who joined up with them on the 7th of November, hung on under continuous machine gun, mortar and artillery fire and increasing attacks. They were cut off and faced appalling weather conditions. There was no hot food and the men only had their emergency rations, together with those taken from the dead. The wounded could not be evacuated at once and the cold was so intense that some died of exposure. When it did become possible to recover casualties, the journey took five hours with eight men to each stretcher. Rain and hail soaked everyone, and many developed frostbite. The final blow was a small earthquake on the third day. By the fourth day, ammunition was running low and the enemy launched six or seven attacks. The order to withdraw was given, but it required an attack by two companies of Scots Guards and another battalion to clear the passage for the Grenadiers to return. The Coldstream of Scots Guards took over for the next three days and on the 14th the mountain was evacuated completely. It was finally captured in an action between the 3rd and the 10th of December as a result of a corps attack which included the 201st Guards Brigade. Monte Camino epitomised the grimness of winter warfare among the mountains of Italy and the hardship involved. It was slow, dour fighting that tested a man's courage and endurance to the limit. An interesting postscript to the battle came when some Moroccan goons training at Monte Camino some months later found the bodies of several guardsmen still on the peak. Being mountain troops, they appreciated what the guardsmen had achieved and they carved a plaque on the rock of point 819 which read To the British soldiers who died gloriously at Monte Camino, November and December 1943. 
December 1943 saw some significant changes in the Allied High Command in Italy. General Eisenhower left to become Supreme Commander of the Forces for the Invasion of Northwest Europe and was replaced by General Sir Henry Wilson. At the same time, General Lee succeeded General Montgomery as Commander of the Eighth Army. By the end of 1943, a new impetus needed to be given to the Allied advance up Italy, and it was decided to carry out an assault landing at Anzio. This would not only bypass the formidable German defences, cutting off the German force there, but also offer the chance of a bold advance to seize Rome with all that such a success meant. The date of Anzio was set for the 22nd of January so that the landing craft could return to the UK after it in time for the Normandy landings in June. The plan was to land two divisions in the first wave and the 24th Guards Brigade consisting of the 5th Battalion Grenadier Guards, 1st Battalion Irish and 1st Battalion Scots Guards landed on the left with the 1st Division on the morning of the 22nd of January 1944. Complete surprise was achieved and a bridgehead 18 miles long and 9 deep was established. Amazingly there was virtually no opposition for 36 hours but the invasion force did not push forward as expected. Anzio is considered by many to be one of history's great missed opportunities. A bold thrust out of the bridgehead when the landing was unopposed might have achieved far-reaching success for there were virtually no Germans between the Allies and Rome. But with memories of anxious moments at Salerno, the American commander, General Lucas, decided he must secure his base before risking any advance. So 72 precious hours were spent in consolidating the bridgehead, and when General Lucas finally felt it ready, it was too late. The Germans had by now cordoned off the invasion area with eight divisions, and more were on the way. In the seven weeks of fighting that ensued, the three battalions of the 24th Guards Brigade who had taken part in the initial landings were to lose 80% of their strength, while the 1st Battalion Irish Guards were ceased to exist as a fighting force. The Guards Brigade sector was centred on the only road from Anzio to Rome, which was naturally of importance to both sides. Along it were several points which were to be the scenes of some of the fiercest fighting in the bridgehead. They were, from north to south, Campoline, Dung Farm, Carosetta, the factory, the embankment, the gully and the flyover, names remembered well by those who survived. On the 25th of January, the Irish and Scots Guards were beaten back in an attempt to reach Campolina. They held on in a narrow salient around Dung Farm. Here they were surrounded and badly mauled by a massive attack on the 3rd of February. Battalion headquarters of the Irish Guards was overrun and everyone captured. But as they were being marched off, they turned on their guards and attacked them with whatever weapons they could lay their hands on. A rifle, a spade, even a petrol tin. Twenty guardsmen were killed and nine were taken prisoner. Early on the 8th of February came a fierce German attack down the road. The forward troops of both the Grenadiers and Scots Guards were overrun and a company of the Irish Guards was also lost. Major W.P. Sidney of the Grenadiers won a Victoria Cross for holding off the Germans single-handed at the only crossing over the gully, and so prevented a serious breakthrough. The next night there was yet another attack on the 24th Guards Brigade, and they suffered so severely that they were withdrawn into reserve 
in the area of the flyover. They had suffered grievous losses, but they had inflicted far heavier ones on the enemy, and the bridgehead was still intact, though contracting daily, as the Germans launched one attack after another. On the 16th of February came the biggest attack yet, mounted by four divisions supported by 450 guns. It was clearly aimed at driving the Allies back to the sea, but they just held on, and finally it was the Germans who withdrew. The 24th Guards Brigade were in reserve at this stage, but the Irish Guards had one final grim spell in the line between the 21st and the 25th of February, which reduced one of their companies to only 17 men. The brigade had by now suffered so heavily that it was withdrawn in March and sent to Naples to reorganise. Meanwhile, the battalions of the 201st Guards Brigade also had severe losses in hard and prolonged fighting along the Carolino, and in April the two brigades were amalgamated. Three battalions, six Grenadiers, 2nd Scots and 1st Irish, returned home with the 201st Guards Brigade leaving in Italy a reconstituted 24th Guards Brigade. With them now was 1st Guards Brigade, who had landed at Naples on the 5th of February and been sent to hold the line of the Carolino River until April, when they moved into the rubble of the town of Cassino, which was still held by the enemy. It was a sinister, unnerving existence, fighting amid the silence and the stench of a ruined ghost town. The enemy were often within a hundred yards, with snipers watching always for victims. By day all was still, but with darkness the ruins came to life. Battalion porters hurried along the mad mile, accurately bombed by enemy artillery mortars and machine guns to bring rations and mail and ammunition. These were then distributed, patrols sent out and defences improved. The three battalions' headquarters were all underground, two in the crypt of a ruined church and one in the town jail. The enemy intercepted every wireless message, and to disguise their identity the Welsh guards made free use of their native tongue, whereupon their positions were showered with German propaganda leaflets written in Urdu. But the lighter moments were rare, and it was overall an unpleasant life, which had few compensations. On the 12th of April 1944, the Household Division presence in Italy was strengthened by the arrival of the 1st Household Cavalry Regiment, who had spent the last 15 months watching the Turkish frontier with Syria. Now they operated as an armoured car regiment, much of the time with the Polish Corps, under General Anders, who later awarded the regiment the exceptional honour of wearing his corps badge with the Mermaid of Warsaw in recognition of their services to the Polish forces. On the 11th of May, the great Allied offensive in the Leary Valley opened with the thunder of 700 guns. Casino itself was not attacked this time, but was bypassed on both sides. The plan succeeded, and on the 18th of May, the Germans withdrew from the monastery, which had defied the Allies for four and a half months, despite three massive assaults against it. Five days later, as the Canadians broke through the winter line, the British and American troops broke out of the Anzio bridgehead. Now the way was open for the last major advance, and for this phase covering May to September, both Guards Brigade acted as lorried infantry, as in two different armoured divisions of the 8th Army. 
In this role, they were to follow roughly parallel routes up central Italy, operating under separate corps, but rarely more than 30 miles apart. On the 19th of May, the 1st Guards Brigade rejoined the 6th British Armoured Division, with whom they had fought in North Africa, and with whom they were now battling their way up the eastern axis that took them through Perugia and Arezzo. 24th Guards Brigade joined the 6th South African Armoured Division, a most successful and happy association in which they advanced from Rome to Florence, or, as one officer put it, from the Orvieto vineyards to the Chianti country. On the 4th of June 1944, Rome fell, the first European capital liberated by the Allies. Two days later came the news of the Normandy landings, while in the east the Russians were sweeping forward on a 300-mile front. The end seemed nearer and spirits were high. The advance up Italy continued and on the 20th of June the 1st Guards Brigade reached Perugia to be met with scenes that were to be repeated soon in France, Belgium and Holland. But these were occasional moments of exhilaration in a grim campaign that was still a hard, punishing, slogging match. Progress was slow, for the Germans fought all the way, retreating slowly, shelling, mining, holding and counter-attacking. There were few large-scale battles, but consistent encounters at battalion, company and platoon level by day and by night, and inevitably there was a constant drain of casualties. It was a great test of leadership, particularly for NCOs and officers. And it was a test too for discipline, not so much from above as from within. Men needed the strength to be found in regimental pride, self-discipline and courage if they were to survive the constant strain and to keep going through a series of thankless, unspectacular battles. An action which took place on the 27th to the 29th of May was perhaps typical of the gruelling fighting that faced the troops in Italy throughout most of the campaign. It occurred when the 1st Guards Brigade advance was held up by German paratroops established in a position on Monte Grande and Monte Piccolo, just south of Arce, which was on the axis of advance. Both features were captured in the night of the 27th, but Monte Grande was lost the next day to a strong counter-attack. 2nd Battalion Colstering Guards, with S Company of the Scots Guards who were attached to them, held on, however, to Monte Piccolo. Captain Nielsen, commanding S Company, was wounded early in the battle, but carried on all day till he collapsed. He was later awarded the DSO for his leadership. By mid-afternoon, S Company had lost all of its officers, so Company Sergeant Major Brown took over and led the charge, which drove the enemy back. He then held the position until reinforcements arrived. He was awarded the Distinguished Conduct Medal. It was hand-to-hand -hand fighting, and at one moment, Lance Sergeant Jones seized a barrel of a Spandau machine gun being pointed at him, turned it on the German crew and killed them. Sergeant Bailey attacked and captured a pillbox from the enemy side, getting three bullet holes through his clothing in the process. That night, the Germans withdrew to their next position. Steadily, the Allied advance pushed on up through Italy. On the 5th of August, the 24th Guards Brigade reached the River Arno at Florence. But despite a series of attacks, it was not until the 24th of August that the Germans withdrew from the town. While the battle went on for Florence, Field Marshal Alexander had secretly concentrated a powerful force against the very eastern end of the Gothic line on the Adriatic coast. 
on the 25th of August, he attacked and broke through the defences which the Germans had boasted no Allied soldier would ever cross. By early September, the 5th Army, which included both Guards' brigades, had closed up on the Gothic line in central Italy, where they prepared for what was expected to be some very heavy fighting. But to everyone's surprise, patrols found it abandoned. A wave of optimism swept over the troops at finding the most formidable defensive line in Italy given up without a shot. In northwest Europe, Montgomery was sweeping across Belgium and Holland, while the Russians closed in on the Germans from the east. It seemed that the end was in sight. But in fact, there still lay ahead some of the hardest fighting yet, and one of the severest winters. It soon transpired that the Germans had only withdrawn to yet another defensive line, based on the chain of peaks that marked the Apennines. Here, both Guards' brigades were to spend the next five months. The 1st Guards' brigade pushed forward through the Gothic line, and on the 2nd of October they occupied Monte Battaglia, where they remained till the 2nd of February, manning, in the words of the Welsh Guards' regimental history, what must surely be one of the most fantastic winter lines ever designed for the discomfort of troops. The defences were 2,600 feet up at the end of a narrow track which took six hours to climb. That autumn was the wettest in living memory, and the men were permanently soaked as well as lashed by biting winds. The position was overlooked on three sides and under constant fire, and the only protection being trenches which were full of water. Dead bodies and filth littered the area. Mules, guardsmen and Indian muleteers sank knee-deep in mud as they brought up supplies each night, and it took three and a half hours to get casualties down the mountain using a relay of stretcher-bearers. It was an improvement when the rain turned to snow and frost. There were some compensations, though not many. Winter clothing had been issued, and the men were that much more comfortable than the year before. The enemy, after one unsuccessful attack on the 11th of November, when an officer and 75 men were captured, made no serious attempts to recapture the peak, perhaps reckoning that the guardsmen were welcome to it for the winter. Above all, there were brief periods out of the line when the comforts and hospitality of Florence could be enjoyed. In November, the brigade also occupied Montivero, a task which was given to the 3rd Battalion Grenadier Guards and the 2nd Battalion Coldstream Guards, with S Company Scots Guards still under command. It was just about as unpleasant a winter station as Battaglia, and the troops withdrew thankfully in February 1945. 24th Guards Brigade spent their winter in the Sete Valley, having found that any attempt to push forward up Route 6620 towards Bologna was blocked by the feature Montesole, barring the way. Plans were made to capture it, but a series of postponements occurred, the last one mercifully cancelling attack arranged, as at Longstop, for Christmas Day. Two days later, the operation was finally abandoned, to the size of relief all round. In mid-February 1945, both Guards Brigade were pulled out of their line to Spoleto, for a complete reorganisation which was to include the introduction of a line battalion into each Guards Brigade. 24th Guards Brigade lost the 5th Battalion Grenadier Guards and 3rd Battalion Coldstream Guards, who both returned to the UK. They were replaced by the 2nd Battalion Coldstream from the 1st Guards Brigade and the 1st Battalion The Buffs. 
the 1st Guards Brigade received 1st Battalion the Welsh Regiment in place of the Coldstream. The reorganisation meant two very sad partings. S Company, 1st Battalion Scots Guards under Major Richard Coke, DSOMC, rejoined their own regiment after 10 months with the 2nd Battalion Coldstream, whose respect they had won for their exceptional fighting record, proved by the 15 decorations which they had gained in that period. Another separation was the 24th Guards Brigade, as they now left the 6th South African Armoured Division, with whom they'd fought since Casino. Links with the Springboks and the Rhodesians had grown very close, and they'd become a very happy and effective partnership indeed. The Pretoria Regiment, an armoured unit, were perhaps particularly closely associated, and they still wear today the winged blue-red-blue flash of the Household Division behind their own cap badge. The origin of the wings is that on several occasions the South Africans have managed to get their tanks supporting the guardsmen into such apparently inaccessible spots on the mountainside that it was remarked they must have flown there. Well, I think that's where we'll leave it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed hearing how the guards fought a gruelling battle to liberate Italy. Next week, we'll look at the Guards Armoured Division, from its creation through to the Farewell Parade in 1945. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to make a small contribution to the work that we are doing during the lockdown, you can go to our website, which is www.theguardsmuseum.com and look for the Support Us button. Any contribution will be gratefully received and faithfully applied. I have been Andrew Wallace. This has been episode 16 of Bearskins, Bayonets and Bravery, Notes from the Guards Museum. So, until next week, goodbye and God bless. Now, turn to your right and salute. Dismiss. Up, down and get away. Get away.